you seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. It's Jim Cramer here. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Don't miss a minute of the action. Good morning and welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm David Faber with Jim Cramer. We are live from the New York Stock Exchange. Carl Quintanilla has the morning off. We get started with uh, what promises to be an interesting week, aren't they all? Take a look at futures, of course, as we open for trading a half hour from now. Uh, those futures have erased big losses overnight. And as you can see, uh, the market is looking uh, higher. Uh, of course, this in part on news out of the G7 summit. President Trump saying China called U.S. trade reps and asked to get back to the table for talks. That said, the editor of China's Global Times who is fairly influential in these things, I believe, followed saying in a tweet that both sides didn't hold phone talks in recent days, adding that recent contacts don't have the significance the president suggested. President Trump and Treasury Secretary Mnuchin were asked about that report, and here's how they responded. I don't know what you mean by that. Low level? Uh, the vice premier is low level? I don't think so. I mean, it's in your mind at low level. Uh, what is the position of the gentleman that was quoted in the newspaper today? Right. Well, the Vice Premier Leo Ho came out with a very significant statement, and we've been communicating uh, through intermediaries back and forth with him. He's the Vice Premier of China. Yes, sir, I understand. But that's not low level. I understand, I agree. Uh, I was just, uh, there was a statement that the, the spokesman for foreign ministry, for instance, that they weren't aware of the calls happening. I don't know about a story. There's been communication going at, on. At the highest level. President Trump and his French counterpart, Emmanuel Macron, will hold a joint news conference, perhaps as soon as a half hour from now, we'll see. Uh, but when it is held, of course, we will go live to it. Jim, a lot to digest this morning. I guess the first thing I would simply share to you to bring it back to the markets, making my usual calls this morning of, of a number of asset managers, you get a, sort of a resounding theme, which is this is an untradable market. You can't take meaningful exposure. There's no way to handicap the next headline. What do I do? You know what? That is absolutely right. I think that's perfect. I've struggled with this, too. And I realize that the people who sold last night when they're down 300, the people who bought this morning up 300, they really don't know what they're doing. And it would be far better just to recognize that the manufacturing economy is slowing, the consumer economy is holding up. And if you decide that you want to trade off tweets, off the PRC, off phone calls, off no phone calls, you're just doing exactly the opposite of what investing is. Uh, that's just a way to lose. That's buy, that's buy high, sell low. And I think what we have to do is step back and just say, look, we don't know what's going to happen. We know that the president is determined to make it so that the Chinese have a weakened economy and that our companies move out. That's his determination. Whether there's talks or not, that's what he wants. So I think that you have to take him seriously. And be careful if you own the companies that have a lot of exposure. You have to accept the fact that if they have a lot of exposure, their number's going to come down. You have to accept the fact that if you're related to manufacturing, because of all the turmoil, moving to Indonesia, moving to Malaysia, it may not even be safe to move to Vietnam if they think it's just transshipment. So give it up. Own what you can. Accept the fact that there's volatility, but don't think you can play the volatility. Right, but does that also mean that, at least based on the conversations I've had, and, and uh, that money is not going to go into the market, that there is going to be 
a more substantial cash position amongst those who normally would be, for lack of a better term, fully invested. Right. I think that the real struggle here is do you buy a company with a stock that yields 3% based on dividends, treasuries, comparison? That's what I think the market's up against. And the answer is, is it 3 Maybe it's 4%. Maybe it's 5 given the fact that you've got tremendous volatility on the manufacturing side. But let's think about what happened just last week. And it was last week. Target reported a great number. Yes. Okay. And that's not going to be taken away. It's not no. supposed to have happened because of the tariffs. Someone may say that the next round of tariffs could hurt Target. What happens if Target comes out and says, I'm using Target as a metaphor, then it's not really going to hurt us. So what I end up thinking is if we get jobless claims that spike and we get unemployment that goes up, I will be more negative. But right, right now, I think, and I didn't like the way the president said, who's worse for the country, she or Powell, because Powell is... Uh, in that was one of uh, the president's many tweets That was a on, shame. Was it Friday, I believe? Right, that yeah. was a shame, because she, he may think that she is a great person, but even though I think Powell should have been more about how we got to lower rates, it, I don't think it's fair. He's a patriot. He's American. But I do think that when you take away what happened over, over this weekend, you do recognize that the Fed is not necessarily a friend of the investor. So that's why it may be 4%, maybe 5%. But I think that's the dilemma people face is do we own high-quality companies with good stocks? It's not tweets. That is not how you invest. No, uh, particularly even when there are debates about whether phone calls were truly made or not made. Uh, I mean, and you have, followed you have different you have yeah. Chinese trade officials hoping for a calm resolution. I, I want to get back to yeah, that for the a Chinese, moment. Did the Chinese lie? And I mean, look, at, at this, you can't invest. Just try to figure out whether Bristol Myers is right. Although, you know, I will say, listen, we all are try. We all try, and it's very. It's not as though we are talking to the Chinese leadership. At least I'm not. I, I doubt that you are. <laughs> so, understanding what exactly is going to be next, particularly from the Chinese perspective, is important. But largely unknowable. That said, Thank we can all do our best to talk to people we know have good relationships right. there. My read from those people is they think the Chinese may be done for a while, that they may be pulling back for a bit and saying, we're just going to let this play out for a bit before we really try and re-engage. Maybe the interdependence between our two economies will be made more stark and real if we wait a while and watch things decline. We'll see. I don't know right. if that's the proper read, Jim. It does seem to go in the face, at least, of what the president is claiming here in terms of these phone calls. But um, it's hard to imagine they get anywhere, given things have only ratcheted up in terms right, of tensions. I agree with that. I mean, my read is just that, it, remember, the G7, what are they saying to the president? Three, most, of the, most of the companies in the, most of the countries in the world, three-quarters of their trade is with China. So the pressure that he is under to make it so that the rest of the economies don't fall apart pretty great. The pressure, he didn't want to crash today. I know this. He did not want the market to crash. Uh, Trump. Trump. Yeah. Of course. So, I mean, the pressure, I mean, like, specifically crash. So, he certainly is under pressure if he, want, if he cares about the stock market. Now, on Friday, he didn't care about the stock market at all. He was willing to send it down. I think- and make jokes about uh, some third-level candidate who pulled out of the Democratic primary being the reason yeah, for I it. Yeah, I think it, but I do think this, David. The the president genuinely believes that the one thing that the Chinese can't handle is unpredictability. And so he almost he wants to be as unpredictable and wildly as possible, because if they think he's crazy, 
then they might want to do a deal. You know, they're very conscious about the fact that Elizabeth Warren is now the front runner. You read the New York Times. It's Warren versus Trump. Warren is not going to potentially be any better for them. Actually worse. That said, again, about the this idea, order. though, that if you take some time and if the economy worldwide does start to decline, but you get people to understand there is true interdependence here that can't just be discarded. Uh, You know, I've asked that question any number of times. How bad is the pain in China? And certainly there is is significant uh, pain. That said, you're talking about, what, 1.3 billion people with a savings rate of 70%. Right. They can get through it. Well, we're we're talking about how big, how many, what, 19 trillion economy. Trump thinks we can get through it. What I think is, don't think that the and we stock are getting market, through it so far. But the stock market is going to react because number cuts send stocks down. Let's say, let's use the paradigm of Emerson versus Bristol Myers. Bristol Myers does something this weekend that's very positive. Now this deal is going to close, which we're going right? to talk about, right. in, and that's uh, very positive in a, in a bit. You know, Emerson uh, numbers have to come down because they do a lot of business with China. And we have to be suspicious. I have Kevin Johnson on tonight. Yes, if he tells me that that. Uh, Luckin Coffee is taking share, or that they see any diminution of business, then obviously Starbucks doesn't deserve to be at 95, 96. But if business is unusual, Starbucks is shorted, it goes to 100. You know, it's funny, we've wondered about would the Chinese go to sort of an asymmetric response being boycotts, pushing nationalism. That doesn't seem to be where they've gone yet. No, and I think. And it's, nobody should have been surprised that they responded with tariffs. They've done that every time. Right. Uh, but they seem very hesitant to push the boycott and the nationalism button. Right. It's interesting that the administration was hoping that the, that the narrative on this morning's show would be about the big Japanese deal, uh, which didn't lower tariffs on their trucks and cars, but did make it so that there's a lot more agriculture. And I think they felt that this was going to be what we talked about. Obviously, uh, we got derailed in terms of what we're talking about because of, of the tweets and the drought which was an odd comment. I don't know if you heard that one, David. I did. That the Doral is why the talks might go well. Now, yeah. obviously, once again, the president's going to say, being a little facetious, but when he says it, you just say to yourself, all right, this is a lighter uh, president in terms of like, hey, we're all going to go to the Doral. He's just talking like yes. you and I are talking. I mean, we all expected that it's Obama. And Obama was, was all about showing tremendous respect to our allies. The president's like, hey, they're just allies. That's all they are, as if, you know, and that's, he has a different view than any other president in history. I mean, Jefferson was the first guy to say, this we got respect. Even Adams said, we got respect. This president doesn't care. Um, back to the economy for a moment. We did get U.S. Uh, dur- July durable goods orders up 2.1%. Right. That's, and, you know, that, that's new that, orders for long-lasting products. That buttresses um, the call. And that was well ahead of what had been a- a- expectations. A lot of it seems to have been uh, due to civilian aircraft and spare components. That was up 47, almost 48% in July from a month earlier. Boy, but nonetheless, it. it was, if you're looking for sort of a reflection of uh, underlying business investment, not bad. No, not, not only not bad at all. But surprising. Although I still won't touch manufacturing because I think that these companies have to move their supply chain. And David, let's face it, you, you're not, you don't, if you were to start building things in Malaysia, you couldn't do it in nine months. I know the president feels adamant that if companies had taken them seriously, they would have had a chance. They would have had maybe as much as 15 months to move their supply chain. David, we, I know we were about to have Hasbro, something happened to have Hasbro, but the fact is that Hasbro can move a toy factory. But it's very hard to move a semiconductor factory. It, it takes Intel two years to build this factory. Yeah, it's, those are highly complex products, and it's not as though you can just pick the phone up and say, okay, move it to Vietnam. 
Uh, let's, uh, of course, as we wait news from the president and he continues to move markets around the globe, let's get to Bob Pisani for more on the broader markets. Bob. Good morning, everybody. Happy Monday. Seems like a long time since Jackson Hole, doesn't it? In fact, seems like a long time since Sunday morning. Just look at the S&P futures. We're talking about almost an 80-point move in the S&P futures. That's better than 700 points from the bottom down here, which is Sunday. And then all of a sudden, you have the president doing some tweets about China negotiations starting. We're still trying to find out the extent of these new restarted negotiations. We don't know exactly, but you can see the big move that we've had up here. I think the problem the markets are having right now is figuring out who exactly is showing up and where are the negotiations. We don't know because we saw on Friday a very angry President Trump talking about China as the enemy. We saw on Monday a much more reasonable President Trump talking about the great leader, uh, Mr. Xi, over in China. So uh, who is showing up for the negotiations? The big question, of course, the only one that anybody cares about is... Is the timing really right for a trade deal? Let's face it, we've all become political analysts at this point, and the answer is it's not clear at all. It's not even clear if the main participants know if the timing is right for a trade deal. So how is everybody else supposed to know? That's the problem the trading community is having right now. So the, you've got a situation right now where it puts pressure on stocks. Basically, you sell into the rallies at this point, and even the bulls are arguing we're range-bound at this point, and that's the bullish position. Part of the problem is... It's hard to argue a rotation play here because the safety trade, you know, the REITs, the consumer stables, utilities, are we all tired of talking about this? They have been outstanding performers this year. They're overextended. Most of them are near historic highs. Uh, utilities routinely show up on the new high list, and they're overbought dramatically. So you can't say, oh, let's rotate into defensive names. The cyclical names, the deeper cyclical names, if you take a look, it's true technology has outperformed. There is your one performer. Remember, the S&P is up about 13% this year. But deeper names, industrials, uh, banks certainly underperforming. Energy is a complete disaster. Deeper cyclical names. It's hard to argue. Let's rotate into them because they're they're lower priced because we have so much trade uncertainty. If you assume it's going to be hard to get a deal, it's hard to make that. So the rotation story is a lot harder to make at this point for the market. That's why even the bulls are arguing we're range bound. One thing is absolutely for sure. Uh, this year, it's living up to its reputation uh, for August, at least, being a rotten month for the markets overall. There we are, down 4.5% year-to-date. Remember, S&P is up about 13%. Uh, a lot of comment about the volume on Friday. Just want to note, we had very heavy volume in two main ETFs. That's the Spider ETF, that's the S&P, SPY, and the Russell 2000 symbol there is IWM. Volume was two, two and a half times normal. One thing I do want to point out is that these instruments are so big and so liquid now that they are themselves separate markets. They are used by the active trading community to hedge. So on Friday, if you look at the, uh, if you look at the, uh, the volatility, the uh, ETF, you look at what's going on with that. I mean, the volatility index, you see the big spike from 16 to 20. What happens here is people are reaching for protection. They're concerned. They're buying puts. Who are they buying puts from? They're buying it from the dealer community. The dealer community is now long markets, and to protect themselves, they go out and use these ETFs, the SPY and the IWM. So my point is, ETFs are used tactically now by the trading community to go long and to hedge the market situation. So yeah, you see big volume on days when we're down. That's largely because of the trading community going out and protecting themselves using puts.
overall. So right now, we'll see how the market opens. It's going to be a very interesting day. Guys, back to you. All right, Bob. Thank you, Bob Bassani. Up next, we'll get Jim's mad dash. Of course, we are count- counting you down to the opening bell. We've got about 15 minutes before we get the open here at the NYC. A significant turnaround taking place in the futures, at least. Of course, we are now looking for a uh, far higher open, uh, given uh, some of those comments from the president about potential talks with the Chinese. We're also waiting, by the way, for President Trump uh, and uh, Emmanuel Macron. Their joint news conference at the G7 is coming up. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Let's head to the bond pits. Join Rick Santelli at the CME Group in Chicago. Rick. Good morning, David. Well, everybody, of course, has been talking how wild it is. And indeed, the distance in some of these moves very large. But Treasuries, for the most part, still rather orderly. Now, everything on the curve right now is down one basis point because we briefly extended our losses from Friday's volatility. And what's fascinating here is you look at a two-day chart of two-year note yields, It had the same intraday low as 10s did. Look at a one week of 10s, right at 144. The difference is is that currently, right around 147 is the low cycle close for two-year notes. We're now at 152. Cycle close for 10-year note yields is 153, right where we're hovering. So we're hovering at three-year lows should we close even a smidge below that level. And also keep in mind, look at a one week of boons. Treasuries were steady eddy until Friday where they dropped down and they're recovering a bit. Boone deals have been much more stochastic, much choppier. And it ought to be said that during our volatility Friday, Boone's largely missed a bunch of that with regard to their uh, time zone. And indeed, they're actually up a bit. They never really moved into that minus 71, 72 area. That's their historic low yield. Now, granted, it's not a huge cushion, but it shows that there is a bit of divergence here. We want to pay close attention to the difference between tens and boon deals. It gives us a better way of handicapping how some of the trade volatility is creating a flight to safety more in U.S. Treasuries. Finally, if we go back all the way to July of 2016, so many things on this chart. It was July of 2016. We had the second of two bubble bottoms, the first in July of 2012, right at 137. You see on the far left of your screen. But Having said that as well, we're still just hovering not much below, above that level here in the low 150s. And many traders think it is going to be trying to challenge those long-term support levels. Finally, the dollar index, another steady eddy. Look at the dollar index for one week up until Friday. Uh, similar to tens, not a lot of volatility. Dollar's more in an extreme upper end of its 27-month range, or 10-year note yields, of course, is extreme at the bottom, but marching along ever so steady for the most part. David, Jim, back to you. Hey, Rick, thank you. Rick Santelli at the CME with the bond report. All right, we got about 10 minutes before we get started with trading here at the New York Stock Exchange. Let's get a mad dash in ahead of that market open. Apple. Very thoughtful piece by J.P. Morgan talking about while tariff-related earnings risks do exist, there is a decline in the bill of materials, what it costs to make an iPhone, particularly a decline in, in DRAMs. 
And that means that even if there is a 10 percent tariff, it won't be that bad, even if Apple had to absorb it. Apple, uh, 55 percent of iPhone, uh, revenue is iPhone. The other 45, of course, they talk about is not talked about enough, which is uh, the watch, which is growing really incredible. And I think that one of the things that we've got to start talking about, again, revenue stream of service. Uh, because what this, uh, the iPhone service revenues, they think are going to continue to grow. All I'm saying is, is that you, this is the stock that's most footballed, so to speak, because they do have a lot of China exposure. What you mentioned earlier, that there's no boycott. But what matters to me is, is that I didn't think that the decline in costs would be that positive for Apple. But we should realize that all these companies that in the semiconductor world are, are under pressure. Right. And that redounds in favor of Apple. Right. So conceivably margins expand enough to offset the 10% tariff. Exactly. That's, I should have said it that way. That's exactly right. And, and so that makes uh, J.P. Morgan even more positive. I know that the stock acted horribly on, on Friday. I know it's the stock that reacts the most. I think what this piece is saying is basically stop thinking that this is the, don't react so heavily anymore because you're not thinking about all the other good things. And I like I like the piece because that's how I feel that service and, and watches could eventually come on. And it, David, TV could make it so that Apple yep. iPhone is less than 50 percent. All right. We got uh, well, we got President Trump and French President Macron set to hold a news conference that, of course, from the G7 summit in France. We will bring you live coverage. Let's give you one more look at futures before we get started with trading here at the New York Stock Exchange. We've got a lot more squawk in the street live from Post 9 when we come back. This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs. And the small dogs, who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. There's a look at uh, futures. Of course, we are looking for a higher market open five minutes from now when we get that opening bell. All the major averages, as you see, looking for a rebound from that sharp sell-off on Friday. You're watching CNBC Squawk on the Street. We are live from the financial capital of the world. We've got an opening bell going to ring a little less than two minutes from now, of course, this following a significant down day in the markets on Friday, uh, given uh, the deterioration in uh, the relationship between China and the U.S. with increased tariffs from China on U.S. Yes. imports there. And then the president's response by moving up uh, percentage-wise existing tariffs and just getting kind of mad. Wait, Although then today or this morning in France saying there are some phone calls that indicate the Chinese want to do business. But we have not seen a rollback of what he said from Friday. Right. And I think that's the most important thing. If he had said, look, I'm going to 
you, you know, what I said on Friday, they burned the table, we're going to walk those back. Instead of just saying maybe we will, I think that what would happen is people would say, you know what, there could be movement here. There wasn't, and there's still no purchase of anything. I think that your earlier comments about a siege are right. Uh, I think that maybe there are people in China who think that you could have a recession here. Yep. Not hard. There's a lot of people come on our air and say I, I believe there were 341 rounds of talks between the Chinese and the Americans between the 1940s and 1972 when we finally recognized China under the Nixon administration. Well, there you go. They played a little Joe and Lai. Yeah. He was always a crafty that's a, fella. That's a, lot of, that's a lot of talking. Yes, it is. But I long think, I think time. That, right. I think that the idea that well, we won't be discussing exactly where we are three weeks from now. So let's forget that and recognize manufacturing is weaker. The consumers hang in. That's really the thesis. All right. We're going to get an opening bell, and Jim and I are going to start to get to some of the stocks that we're watching as well uh, this morning. Here is the opening bell. Michigan-based financial holding company doing the honors. Uh, Twin Cities Financial. I'll tell you, David, we are, uh, on Friday afternoon, there was a sense that the bull market's over. And we have dealt with that forever. The bull market's over. But the last last four weeks have been very uh, disconcerting to those who buy the industrials. And I think that's correct. I think the industrials numbers are coming down. You do? Yes, I do. And you do think that because... Because I think that it's not China, it's the rest of the world that they sell into. And people don't realize how China has ingratiated itself and really played globalization to the point where if you are a country, uh, any country, you're more worried about China's economy slowing than you are about anything else. And you wish that the United States would stop it so China would still buy things. And that's what I think, as you mentioned, China is being hurt. China may play a long game, but all of its trading partners don't play a long game. And I think that they're very concerned, and they're not, and they're frozen. Someone earlier on was recommending the emerging markets. I could not think of a worse place to be. The emerging markets have to deal with a strong dollar, and the emerging markets really need China to go into higher gear. Uh, and that's not happening. Going to lower gear. Can they, they keep it above 6%? It would, seem, it would seem to argue then that when it comes to equity markets, we're still the best show in town. Well, the ones that yield well. I keep coming back to yield. And now the strongest group, the REITs. The REITs are overbought, but REITs offer tremendous... You know, there's guys who are fighting to recommend REITs that still haven't moved, like Vici. Vici is, you know, I came at calls. Got conquered, whatever that is. But, yeah, so you have this kind of... Vici properties, Morgan Stanley, increased defensiveness and expanding acquisition, upgrade to overweight. This is really a a simile for this market, which is to say what you really need to do is find something with 5-4% yield. We should have Barry Stern look on, because Starwood has a very big yield, and I think he's pretty bankable. There are quite a few significant yields out there. Of course, I always think of Verizon or AT&T, right. both I like which have significant uh, yields at this point. Very different business models, though. Always important to point out. Right. They don't trade in, in unison anymore, either. No, they should. They, they trade very differently and probably should. Because can, how much can AT&T re- refinance? I don't know. Yeah. I don't they, know. I think they need to. Um, and we're going to talk in a moment about Disney's uh, streaming service, of course, I think seen in contrast to a certain extent to what the plan is uh, right. at Warner, which is owned by uh, AT&T. But let's start off uh, with a deal this morning that you and I both kept a close eye on. Bristol-Myers announces an agreement between Celgene and Amgen. They're divesting a key treatment for psoriasis, $13.4 billion. Now, they were forced, Jim, as you know, having followed this closely, to divest it. 
Right. It had the effect of delaying the close of Bristol-Myers' uh, acquisition of Celgene. They get a good price. Uh, and the fact is the spread between what the deal was worth and where Celgene is trading has closed. You can see it. And Bristol-Myers also benefiting a great deal this morning in the overall. Dr. Giovanni Caforio, I've been going back and forth with him, a man I greatly respect. As you recognize that Bristol-Myers, the revenue stream uh, has been challenged by Merck. Okay. Uh, this deal, I thought they'd get $10 billion max. I was very afraid that Bristol-Myers would not be able to reduce the debt that they have taken down to buy Celgene. Crafty Giovanni makes a lot of money, but... My travel trust owns Amgen. The stock was down five one point. Amgen is desperate, David, for more revenue streams until their cancer drugs play out, until Amavig, their migraine drug, plays out, until Repatha, their cholesterol drug, plays out. So they got Enbrel when they had a New Jersey win, and now they have Otesla, which is a very big drug. And what I would tell you is, is that there's two winners here. But I really believe the winner may be the Celgene people who now know the deal's going to close. And maybe the deal closes by your end. Right. And that's fabulous. And Bristol-Myers, David, notice it only yields 3.3 now. It does. So I, 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 my hat is off to Dr. Cafario. Uh, people really sold him short. They really did feel that he they, wasn't going to get a lot of money for this. They got a very strong price. Yes, they, they also, did. by the way, are increasing what was a previously announced plan, $5 billion accelerated share repurchase. It's now $7 billion, in part perhaps because of the... Um, the overage, right. so to speak, right. more well, money that they got for this uh, for this asset. I think that people, they didn't want to sell in the first place. No, we should point they out. Were surprised. They were surprised. They, they, they had the government really. It was like, yeah. holy cow, Tesla! That is the non-revlimid drug, and it's got a two billion dollars stream out the years. But wow. Good thing for everybody. Uh, my hat is off to Caforio. That deal is going to close. Numbers are going to go higher. Let's keep it in this sector, uh, broadly speaking, and talk a bit about J&J, Jim. Um, later today, uh, the Oakley, Oklahoma opioid decision is going to come. Um, and there are many who believe J&J will get a negative verdict. The level of damages, though, is obviously going to be a key amongst right. how investors view it. Uh, where is the award? What will it mean? Um, and, you know, of course, you go through the idea of appeals and everything else. Do you have any expectations here and or yeah, I how investors should my line up here? My travel trust owns it. I wouldn't touch it till after. I think that the likelihood that they will lose, I think people will panic. What I point out is the, trip, the triple A nature of J&J's balance sheet means they can handle this. But, David, this has become the hardest. I don't know. My travel trust owns it because we believe in Alex Gorsuch. This is the hardest one to own. you got talc. And that's just going to keep playing out. You had opioid. They wouldn't settle because they feel that there's such a small percentage. Uh, but you know how juries are. Yeah. They hate these companies. So the role of the dice, I don't know how much is the judge, just the judge, but the role of the dice here is disconcerting to shareholders. Um, speaking of judges, uh, we, I, we were both not here on Friday uh, for Qualcomm's win, essentially. That was amazing. Where uh, the FTC's ruling against has now been stayed uh, by the Ninth Circuit. Uh, and so for Qualcomm, the shares of which were up on Friday prior to, of course, then uh, the president's tweets are rebounding a bit today as well. But this takes a lot of the pressure off. They don't have to renegotiate anything with anybody in terms of that FTC. It's a fascinating case. Remember, the Department of Justice has sided with Qualcomm versus the FTC, uh, and now it's going to be decided in an appeals court. I think the arguments are set to set to begin in January of next year. David, we always hear, and the President reiterated this weekend, 
that the government is, uh, the regulations have really been pulled back. This is the most aggressive FTC and the most aggressive FERC I have ever we seen. We should point out, this was an FTC uh, decision that was litigated, that was a leftover from the Obama True, administration. but, you know, it's not like he stacked these. The FTC is No, but then somebody had to recuse themselves. It was, it's always been a strange one yeah, for Qualcomm. It really is. Uh, but, of course, when we remember, Qualcomm's stock price this year has been dramatic moves in all sorts of ways, but a dramatic move up on the Apple settlement, only to be followed not that much later by that very negative ruling by Judge Coe, which has now, again, been stayed. Right. So, now, I, I I've actually am... I, I can't believe, David, this is how many times, I know the FTC holder, but the FTC, David, has gotten exactly the opposite of what President Trump would be saying. Basically just saying, hey, listen, we're not, we're going to be as aggressive. Right. I mean, you would think that they'd just say, listen, we're done. We're done. We're not, we're pulling back. Uh-uh. Particularly in the case of Qualcomm, which we've said the words, they don't, national champion 5G, the strategy, of course, of 5G. Did you see, by the way, that Huawei came up with an AI chip that they're trumpeting and saying that is equal to what NVIDIA? No, not supposed to happen. Not supposed to happen. And in my, you know, in in Jensen Wong we trust. I don't think anyone's going to touch. But NVIDIA always just has the next step forward, but I hear that. Dave, another thing that we haven't talked about... I just think it's interesting to note the the advances in innovation potentially coming out of China. China. That's another part of why companies here may feel a need to be there to some extent. Exactly right. Now, NVIDIA's got this deal. The Mellanox deal's right in front of the Chinese. They continue to say on that uh, conference call, Jensen Wong says that deal's going to go through. Uh, just I, waiting. Just waiting. They'll wait and wait they and wait. Have to That's wait a the question. Longer. Hey, there's big news. There's a guy named Rusty Brazil whom I follow uh, yes. for oil. Do you know that the next pipeline is now open for the Permian? And it's a very cheap. Turns out that the pricing is very inexpensive. There's not a lot of tariffs, so to speak. David, the world's going to be flooded with oil in the next six months from the Permian. Because you've been talking for a long time about the lack of pipelines, but the fact that right. they were being now, built. Where does this oil then get taken, this new pipeline? Where is, for example, where does it uh, well, come it, from and go to? A lot of it will just... It comes from the Permian. Where is right. it going It can to? go everywhere. It's not... Right. You couldn't go to China, I guess so. But what, so what is it allowing for that hadn't been previously? What leads you to say that we're, the world's going to be... Well, because you mean, maybe oil. you're talking about two million new barrels coming on soon. And remember I told you that we're going to go from 12 million barrels to 17 million, according to Scott Sheffield yes. from Pioneer? Well, this is part of it. Remember, these companies, they wish that they didn't have, they wish they could hold back oil, but they have to drill in order to meet their obligations. They are not the Saudi Arabians. So you're going to see a flood. You're not going to see oil rally. I mean, think about all And now they've got more pipelines to get it to the export markets. That's important. Exactly right. Now, there is a, the- there's a backlog of ships leaving Houston because the, the, the port actually isn't big enough to handle all the oil. But uh, yeah, you're going to have the Permian really be monetized. And I just think the price of oil is just going to go very low. I, I'm surprised it's still in the 50s. I think it cracks. I think it cracks. And that's why, that's why I think a lot of the oil stocks are even worse. There was, there was a very negative price target adjustment for Apache uh, down to 20. David, I've got, that's, I've got to tell you, you know what may, what's going to look back and we're going to say what was one of the dumber things ever? What? The Occidental buy of Anadarko. I think that could have been done at 50. Well, I mean, low 60s was where Chevron said, see you later. See you later. <clears throat> and the debt that was taken down by Oxy, I think uh, it was how it should come on to this show and talk about debt service and how there's not to worry. Uh, because, David, I'm very worried. You are. 
Yes, because I think that that Warren Buffett 8% money mm-hmm. was an interest rate too far. And when I look well, you're at you're not the, alone. Carl Icahn no. certainly agrees with. Yeah, you. and when I look at the city piece on Apache, which is a similar story to to uh, uh, to Anadarko, they're ro- uh, lowering their their price target to 22. This stock was 60. Right. The, the, this is all in part because you can't flare as much as you'd like natural gas. You have to get there. But the when you, the pipeline, all systems go. Where is the world going to handle a couple more million barrels of oil without the price coming down? And China is not. It, using a lot more oil than it was, to argue that it's been same. So I think that oil is going to be continually a horrible story for the market. Horrible. Yeah. Um, finally, Jim, let's quickly just take a look at Disney. They made a lot of uh, well, noise on Friday. Of course, all of this about Disney+. Plus. Uh, it was a coming out party for a number of the original series that will be part of that streaming service. They had their biennial fan convention, the D23 Expo where they unveiled a lot of things. Um, we all know how central this is, of course, to, uh, to the overall strategy at the company. Uh, it's going to be rolled out in November. I always think of it just the time and effort that has been taken at that company to make sure that everybody's on board uh, and that everybody has buy-in. Um, right. As opposed to some of the moves that we've seen at AT&T's Time Warner division, in terms of how they've dealt with what will right. be their streaming entrant now called HBO Max. Uh, well, very different. Very um, different. And, and, of course, different price points, too. Uh, you know, the question continues to be, will it in any way take share from Netflix or will it simply exist in its own? I think it can. Disney, there's only so many. Disney Plus. I know, but I'm saying there's only so many. Yep. The millennials can only take down so many services. Yep. Uh, Seven bucks was, a month. Yeah, that's that all. was much higher. Now, it's not, David, I want to be sure that people understand J&J. Just go back over. Yes. That's the judge. It's going to rule. It's a judge ruling. Yes. Probably less likely that, you know, the juries hate drug companies. Judge could be reasonable. Right. I, I just want to be sure everybody knows that. Yeah. And, and just go back on the Disney. David, there's, here's my worry about Disney. The stock's going from 143 down to 131. Yes. It, 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 it seems there had been a belief that this, the valley could be looked through. Because the next quarters are not going to be... Well, and the last quarter was not a good quarter. No. No. Uh, and there was some question there as to what, in, in terms of the performance of the Fox division and how much distraction there was and, and whether it could admitted, have been overcome. Admitted by uh, Iger. Will that change this quarter? I don't think so. I don't know. Right. So I mean, the stock bit. is getting hit because I think people are starting to say, I have a good game. Why do I have to be there through a series of bad quarters? Yep. And so we have to watch that. We don't know. But I do think that uh, the Iger we trust is uh, worth trusting, but you've got to be willing to take a lot of pain. Uh, all right. We uh, overall have a market that is up about 0.8% on the S&P, uh, certainly better than had been anticipated, perhaps, when things closed on Friday, uh, and certainly sent a bit higher as a result of some positive comments from the president about the potential for restarting talks with the Chinese this after uh, a good deal of heated back and forth, well, particularly from the president on Friday. We're also, of course, awaiting President Trump and French President Macron's joint news conference from the G7 summit. So let's get to Eamon Javers. He is in France, and he's got more for us. Eamon. 
Yeah, good morning, David. We're running about an hour behind here at the G7 in France, so we expected that presser at 9.30 East Coast time. We're going to get it probably around 10.30 East Coast time. At least that's the information that we're given right now. Things are a little bit in flux right here as the schedule bounces back and forth, but ultimately what reporters in the room are going to be wanting from the president is a little bit more substance to back up his statement this morning when he said that the Chinese side had called the U.S. to start negotiations. He said the Chinese wanted to go back to the negotiating table. He said this was a good thing for the United States. Uh, we got some skepticism uh, from Beijing on that. Our Eunice Yun in Beijing reporting that the foreign ministry there uh, said that they didn't really know what the president was talking about or what he was referring to. There was a well-connected uh, journalist who's connected to the Chinese government uh, in China who suggested that uh, ultimately there are no conversations of the level to which the president was talking about. So we've been pressing U.S. officials here in France who are traveling with the president for more detail uh, on what exactly transpired overnight. They have not offered any detail. The president's been pressed on it a number of times when reporters have been able to get into the room with him. Uh, at one point, he's pressed on it. He said, look, I don't want to talk about calls. Uh, Secretary Mnuchin said there are high-level talks going back and forth, communications going back and forth all the time. So that's sort of where we stand as we wait for this press conference. And these press conferences can be lively affairs here because we'll have uh, the whole world press involved uh, and the questioning can hit any, any number of topics. Uh, a lot of tension points here. All the world leaders in France trying to get through all this without any major blow up the way they had last year at the G7 when the president refused to sign on to that communique. Uh, Angela Merkel said it was depressing the way last year's G7 wound up. So this year they're trying not to have it land on a sour note. And as a result, they're not going to have any communique at all. They're simply not signing any joint statement at the end of this. So there will be sort of no outcome. The real meat of this is all the negotiations that are going on behind the scenes, guys, and we'll wait to see what the leaders have to say in about a half an hour's time now. Yeah. Well, Eamon, as somebody who has followed virtually every comment from the administration on trade and, and anything else, whether it be in tweet form or during press conferences, I mean, it has been very difficult from an investor perspective to really ever know what is truly going on. Sure. Uh, I think. Uh, and by the way, then trying Remember? to understand what the Chinese leadership is doing is equally difficult uh, as well. I mean, a lot of investors I know right. just thrown their hands up at this point in terms yes. of trying to actually get some sort of sense as to what's really happening in these talks or non-talks. I think that's a sensible posture right now. I mean, you remember where we were last week with this idea of we're going to go do some more tax cuts, and then the next day, no, we're not going to do some more tax cuts. This White House has been sending conflicting signals uh, for over a week now on a whole range of topics, and we saw the blow-up on Friday, as the president said, he hereby orders American companies to get out of China or to consider to look into getting out of China. Uh, then the White House said, well, the president does have legal authority to do that under an obscure 1970s law, but he's not actually going to do that. Uh, over the weekend, we had the president uh, suggesting in response to a question that he does have some second thoughts about the China trade war. Uh, and then aides hastily went out in front of cameras to say, no, 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 he's not softening his tone on the China trade war. What he meant to say is he has second thoughts that he wasn't tough enough on the tariffs on Friday. And uh, Larry, uh, Larry Kudlow ultimately suggesting that the president misheard the question. So there's been a lot of mixed messaging here. So I think if you're an investor watching all this, you might want to just be very careful with all the different messages that are coming out because we've seen them change, you know, almost hour by hour over the course of the weekend. Yeah. Well, we appreciate you staying on top of it. Tweet by tweet, comment by comment. Eamon Javers trying to make sense of it all for us, of course. We'll be back with Eamon later. Uh, we'll be 
covering live that press conference from uh, both uh, Macron and President Trump when it happens. As Eamon said, it has been delayed about an hour. Uh, Jim, any further Mar- thoughts markets on don't sort of... believe. Yeah. Markets don't believe there are phone calls. Uh, markets believe that the president is uh, exaggerating or doing something that is uh, fatuous, uh, or else they'd be up far more because we were down so badly on, fr- on uh, Friday. Uh, I come back and say, listen, there's a lot of high-quality stocks that are up, but the industrials are challenged here, no matter what. Because everything that makes it so that the world is slower cuts their numbers. Cannot be bullish on the industrials. There are a lot of non-industrials, high-yielders that I like. And right. there's some tech companies that are doing Are you going to well. put together a portfolio of high-yielding stocks for us at some point that you think would make sense? Yes. Okay. And it's because of what you just requested, because I do have enough in my head that I should do that. I, uh, I've been lax on that. That's I, all right. I, I've been lax I on mean, that. I always come back, of course, to... to uh, and by the way, we haven't talked retail at all. After last week, it was all we discussed with all the right. different That's what earnings. I've been caught up But in. I always tend to come back to Macy's, which I know you'll just say you can't oh, touch it, wow. even at a 10.2% yield. Well, I mean, I think Macy's, look, so much of their... They've not... Uh, decided they they've not gotten away from this foreign they need tourists right you keep hearing that uh, what they really need is a much better strategy on the line and I think they're hampered by being in the mall almost all the mall stars are really different to, really, really difficult David we're seeing a have and have not and you know Macy's has they paid down a lot of debt I, I just think that what's happened is it's just not interesting and it, you know, it's a yield play with very little upside. And I think that they have to demonstrate that they, they have to pivot and somehow say, you know what, we are going to go, like, we're going to do exactly what Target did. We're going to become a different company. They have to become a different company. And that's very hard for everyone. Any company, that's a very difficult thing to transform. Uh, there's no It's doubt really that. hard. You can't keep um, doing the same thing. That's not what works in this market. I like Kohl's, and I was wrong. I thought that their tie-in with Amazon was different enough, but it, I was wrong. And I, I think that you have to suggest that it's really got to be like a Target, like a Costco, like a Home Depot, which really, uh, you read, you read uh, Mark Benioff's new book. It's not out yet, but you can reserve like, got an advanced copy. And what Home Depot did, recognized that, holy cow, we're behind. And they pivoted so hard. That's what, that's, that's what Jeff Gennettis did. I mean, you have to blow the company up. That's not an easy thing to no, do. No, it isn't. But Target did it. Yeah, he did. Cornell did it. He did. Cornell did it. And the results are uh, are fairly, well, are quite positive. The industrial's rolling over here. Yeah, we're wow. watching the markets here. The S&P hanging in there with a gain of about 0.6%, but that is down from its highs. You've, of course, seen the decline as well in the uh, Dow. We are waiting for President Trump, French President, French President Macron, both leaders getting ready to hold a joint news conference from the G7 in France. We'll have that live coming up right here on Squawk on the Street. All right. Yeah, we're combining stop trading and the key to this market, which typically I ask you around 931, but we didn't get to. So what are both? On Friday, Salesforce was up 10 and then it got obliterated because it had no quarter on Thursday. I think it was one of the best quarters I've seen from tech. Uh, It was a reacceleration of all lines and uh, the stock would have been up big, obviously, if it weren't for the tsunami of selling. I need you to just watch it because that one has 
uh, room to grow, four more points before where it was. You had uh, Keith, right, it hadn't been a great performer so far this no, year in the market. You had Keith Block on as your guest on Mad Money yes. on Thursday night. And Keith Block, who's the co-CEO, I thought told a fabulous story of acceleration in almost every part of the business. And uh, Tableau data, not Tableau software, not closed yet, David, because of uh, British concerns. But when it does, I think you're going to see even more good news there. So watch that. I do think it should be higher, but I respect the fact that this market is treacherous. It's been flat for a year. Twelve month performance yeah, versus up point four. Yeah. Adobe, uh, and I think it's it's time. They had they had a, a good year last year. But this is a great year. Uh, there's a look at the uh, Dow. Uh, Jim, what do we got coming up on Mad Money oh, tonight? Oh, my, we got Kevin Johnson. I'm so excited, KJ Wood, because we get to ask about China. We ask about pumpkin. We ask about nitro. David, it's cold. Have you had nitro? I have not. I didn't sleep for two days. Really? Yes. Just it what was, you need. Yeah, it was like, oh, you know, well, if that's I had normal, sterno, though. it would be less powerful than nitro. But it's what the millennials want. They like chicken, and they like nitro. And Kevin has done a remarkable job domestically. Let's hear about China. But cold drinks have a great... we got to see people who drink cold drinks in the winter. But they like that pumpkin latte. They're moving that up. They are, they're moving the release date for the yes. pumpkin spice yes. latte. I think if you, right. you know, if you have to stay up all night for a football game, nitro. Nitro. Got it. All right. I'll see you later. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.